Number one, it's the terrain that we're hunting in and the lack of cover. They're a plains animal. And so they're, they're in the plains, even though we've got a lot of tree cover and the deep cut river valley. They like to be up in the hills and, and, uh, and on the plains. And so there's not a lot of cover um, that presents a challenge. Uh, but also it's a herd animal. And typically there's more than one animal, which means more sets of eyes, more sets of ears. You're back with Ballistic Chronicles, and this is an episode we recorded with John Howell, who's a NFL great, played for Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Seattle Seahawks, and he's owned a buffalo herd for 25 years. He's had it on the family property, fifth generation ranch in the Sand Hills of Nebraska. We sit down and talk about bison hunting, what it's like to own a bison herd. So get yourself a cup of coffee and keep your hands on that steering wheel if that's what you're doing. Eyes straight ahead. We were on this hunt with honored American veterans afield and friends of mine, Samuel Pike, filming for Frontier Unlimited. That's our television show. Is a little behind-the-scenes glimpse. So sip that Frontier Roast, keep it between the lines, and we'll catch up with you again on the other side. We're here at the Dismal River Club, Nebraska, in the Sand Hills of Nebraska, and we're hunting bison. We have with us the Director of Outdoor Recreation for the Dismal River Club. His name's John Howell. He's been an outfitter and hunting consultant for the last 20 years, and he's a retired Super Bowl champion. He played for Tampa Bay and the Seattle Seahawks. So anyway, thanks for being here on Ballistic Chronicles, John, and thanks for showing us around this place. How long has your family owned property here? Yeah, well, first of all, Gary, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure spending time with you the last few days and getting to know you. Um, we're honored to have you guys here. It's a very special place to me. Obviously, this is where I was born and raised. Uh, my family's been here in the Sand Hills on this ranch for five generations now. Um, so I don't currently live here, but I come back here as much as I, I possibly can. This is where I run my business and um, you know, this is where I create and build relationships with lots of cool people and one of my favorite places in the world. Well, it's great to share it with you. One of the things you told me is that if there's a rock out here in the sand hills, it was brought here by somebody. Yep. And that, that comes right down to the, the gravel on the road. You showed me yesterday a really special thing you found. Now tell us about how you found it. Yeah, absolutely. We joke around here. If you find a rock, yeah, somebody carried it here. Um, and uh, the story about that is one day, uh, myself and one of my guides, we were um, we were guiding buffalo hunters um, along the Dismal River in the Sand Hills here on our uh, family ranch property. We just got done taking a really nice bull, and um, my guide and I were walking back to the truck. We were coming through a, a buffalo waller, and it was about the size of our truck with those with those buffalo will uh, waller and it creates kind of a miniature blowout and we were right down in the middle of it and about half buried in the sand it looked like a broken buffalo horn um, and i walked up to it and i kicked it and it was hard as a rock 
and it kind of made a thump and we both looked at each other like that's weird i reached down and kind of just picked it up out of the ground and what it was was it was the the head of a club made by native americans that you you could see one end was uh, blunt the other end was spherical kind of a pointed end but it was really heavy and in the middle um, it was ground out to where they had tied it onto a handle with a piece of leather um, and it was really heavy. I don't think it was used for battle or anything like that. In my opinion, it was, and I've been told by, by others that, um, that they, you would use those to break bones on, uh, you know, Buffalo to get the bone marrow out. Um, so the bone marrow was vital to their way of life. And if, if these were Lakota or Blackfeet, or Cheyenne in that were hunting in this area from time to time, they would have had to crack those bones open to get at that marrow, which they'd make soup out of and do other things with. But if you don't have any other rocks, you got to bring a big hammer to the game. And when I looked at that thing, that's what I thought. This is a big hammer. It's not me making a pronouncement on it. I'm basically, I'm getting that from you because, but there's no other rock there to bash it on. You know, you like to have two hard surfaces. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to crack that, I'll put it on a rock or an anvil or something and I'll crack it. I don't need as big a hammer. And you think about when you're bringing tools like that, you got to carry them a long way. And what was that, five pounds? Yeah, it's probably, if I had to guess, five, six pounds. It's heavy. Um, it's extremely heavy. And, and even when we find flint here and we find arrowheads, which, you know, we do quite often, you know, that they had to trade for that flint, right? Yeah. With, um, with other tribes from different areas it's it in order to get that for the tools that they needed to, to hunt and everything else. But, um, they either had to, to bring it in here or trade for it. Um, because that type of material just isn't in this country. It's the great American desert. It's the second largest sand dune formation, uh, behind the Sahara desert. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of sand. Yes, it is a lot of sand. So what we're what we've been doing these last few days is hunting bison. You're fifth generation on the land here. You've got some interesting family stories. For the last how many years you've owned a herd of bison? Twenty five years. Twenty five years. And so these bison have been on your family's property for that long. What was really exciting to me was being out there and seeing these. Buffalo wallows, the places where they walk, the trails that they walk over and over again. It strikes me that the way that we were hunting is the way that they hunted in the 1870s. Yeah, that's what I really enjoy about this country the most is it's just, um, it's so open. There's no buildings. There's no street lights anywhere. We're 70 miles from a town that's over 500 people. The closest town is 450 people and it's still 20 miles away. It really is the middle of nowhere and the landscape and the terrain is exactly how it was, you know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago when these buffalo were roaming freely. And so it just takes me back in time when we're on the hunt. And, um, you know, just, I love being, feeling like, you know, you're part of our, our country's heritage and the iconic American bison and, um, the Native American Indians that uh, those bison meant so much to food and shelter and clothing. And it does. It just it just takes me back in time every single hunt I'm on. And I, I love that we are able to have those animals on our family property 
um, in an environment that is not really any different than what they had 200 years ago. We don't do any supplemental feeding. We don't, there's no hormones or vaccinations. We don't round them up. Um, they're out there free and natural. The water that they drink is from the spring-fed Dismal River. There's no man-made irrigation or wells. Um, and so they exist just like they did 200 years ago when there was, you know, 60 million of them out here. We were crawling through the sand, down on our bellies, slithering along. Man, I love that stuff. I, I love it when I get up at the end of a hunt and I've got sand in my pockets. Absolutely. I do too, Gary. I, that's the kind of hunting I enjoy the most. And that's kind of a misconception. I think people associate, you know, bison with, when they drive through Yellowstone Park, maybe, and you can drive right up to them and um, maybe other conservation areas where they, where they have, where they have bison. Um, but these, these here have been hunted and they, they've grown up out there. They're born and raised and it's a self-sustaining herd that for the past 25 years, um, but they understand that two-leggers mean danger. This made it very difficult uh, to hunt them. It's very challenging. It's a different type of hunt that you and I have talked about. It's different than a whitetail or an elk hunt and things like that. It's got its own challenges and its own way that are unique, and that's part of what makes it so fun. The hides on these animals are amazing. When you put that animal on the ground, you can run your fingers through the hair that first one that we got just rich rich hide the you know it makes a great trophy mount but also the the rug what the lakota would have done or the ogallala or the Bruley or whoever was out here hunting they would have tanned a hide like this with the hair off and it would take 18 of those cow hides of those medium size average cow hides to make a teepee you think about how heavy that was and why they existed as a community because they needed some people to carry those big heavy pounders they needed some people to make arrows and bows and they needed some people to haul the haul the lodges everybody had their own job to do in in that community yeah, absolutely. And it's been fun listening to you talk about them. I mean, the, your knowledge of them and your respect for them um, and your passion for that animal and just wildlife and their existence has been so cool. And I learned that from you, 18 hides um, to build a lodge for them. It's, a, it's an, um, that's an amazing thing to know. It's super cool. But the amount of work that went into it, you know, with, with primitive tools, it did. It required a lot of, a lot of people um, and an entire tribe to make that work. But yeah, that you mentioned the trophy aspect of it. Um, one of the things about buffalo hunting is that I enjoy so much is, number one, the meat. I mean, everybody loves meat from an elk hunt or a moose hunt or whatever it is, but it seems like it's even cherished more from a buffalo hunt. Just the, the nutrition, you know, compared to beef and um, the flavor and everything you get. It's, it's The meat is just as much a part of the trophy for most of our clientele. But then the trophy side of it as well, you can have a great shoulder mount with a nice 25 square foot backskin rug still, even after you do the shoulder mount. And you can even do a European skull mount as well with a full rug. So there's lots of cool trophy options. And I've been in a lot of amazing trophy rooms in my life. And in a lot of them that I go into where there is a buffalo, big old shoulder mount, that's what stands up. <laughs> that's for sure. In the 1880s, when it really looked like the buffalo, the wild bison was going to be extinct in North America. There were a lot of forces that were competing for those last animals. And so there were people like Pete Dupree who caught five calves 
and took them home and, and raised them. And the ones that survived became the nucleus of a herd that is probably living in Colorado somewhere. And then there was Samuel Walking Coyote, who was a flathead Indian. He saved some animals and then sold them to Michel Pablo and Charles Allard. And then there was Charlie Goodnight down in Texas who was doing the same thing. And these were small herds, and it was mostly cattlemen who felt a responsibility to preserve something. So it wasn't the white man preserving them. It was Indians preserving them too. And then there would be things that would go wrong, like disease. And so there were private herds. And then later, the state's got involved because in some cases they were shamed into keeping these animals alive. There and there were forces in government who wanted them all extinct so that they would deprive the Indians, the Native Americans, of, of something to eat. I look at you in this category, people that are stewards of the herds today, and I love just seeing what you're doing with them. And there's there's other people like you around the country who this means something to them. And it is a labor of love. It's a force. You could be doing something else to make a living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah, I, I remind myself of that sometimes with these, you know, 15, 16 hour days. Right. Um, but, uh, but I, I love it. There's nothing else I would, I would rather be doing. Um, I just, I can just sit and watch those animals. To me, they're amazing. And, and the story you told, to me, it's the it's the greatest wildlife conservation story of all time. Oh man, I you can't you can't find a better one, at right. least on our continent. Right. So now, a lot of people, when they think about coming out here and sharing that hunt with you and with their family, that then they start thinking about the rifle they're going to bring, or the handgun, or the bow and arrow. And what is it that you like to see people? Put in the truck and bring out here. I tell you what, whatever, I tell people the largest caliber rifle that they shoot the very best. Um, because, uh, you know, like any responsible hunter, we want clean, efficient, one-shot kills on, on any animal. But the, but with the largest land animal in North America, um, we have to focus on that even more. Um, and so the largest caliber that they shoot comfortably, I'd rather have somebody bring, you know, a 30-06 um, that they shoot very well versus a 375 H&H Magnum that they flinch and, and uh, don't shoot well uh, because it is all about shot placement. They're big, big, tough animals. Um, inevitably, everybody leans towards the 4570 right I, and i brought a 4570 on this trip which was um outfitted quite a bit like the one that you carry as a backup yeah absolutely very very similar guns it's an 1895 marlin guide gun with a ported barrel and 4570 and um it's it's um it's compact it's uh, easy to handle um, it's uh, quick target acquisition, um, and that's what I carry for a backup on, on all of our hunts, and I've had to use it before. But close range, very good knockdown power. Um, my guides joke with me around here um, they because, because we do have a lot of people bring 4570s, and it's not so much the caliber. It's just the inefficiencies with some of the shooters that we can get from time to time. And that's okay. That's part of it. But I joke around. I say, I think over 150 years, Buffalo have developed an immunity to the 4570 caliber. <laughs> <laughs> when I heard you say that, 
I smiled because I knew exactly what you were talking about. And then it just became apparent while we were on the hunt. We, we were able to get close to one herd of bedded bison that didn't know we were there. And we weren't very close. It was still a long ways. 200 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yep. And I told you, you know, you've hunted a lot. I've hunted a lot. And, and I've, I've hunted a lot of animals that we ended up taking that did not know we were there. Very seldom will we ever take a, a, a buffalo that isn't aware we're there. And there's several reasons. Number one, it's the train that we're hunting in and the lack of cover. They're a plains animal. And so they're, they're in the plains, even though we've got a lot of tree cover and the deep cut river valley. They like to be up in the hills and, and, uh, and on the plains, and so there's not a lot of cover um, that presents a challenge. Uh, but also it's a herd animal, and typically there's more than one animal, which means more sets of eyes, more sets of ears. And they're just, they're just so aware for a seemingly docile animal. Um, most all of them were laying there. Um, and we did have some tree cover, which is unusual because they were in a break between a, a, a bunch of trees and then a river that we just happened to catch them at. But that was really special and cool for me because I got to watch them in an environment where they didn't know I was there. And that just doesn't happen very often. Then when they do know you're there, they get up and stand and look at you and they get nervous and they start to mill around. So shooting a buffalo isn't a problem but shooting the right one that you're going after becomes very difficult and then they walk away and i joke with the guys as well i said nothing nothing moves fast nothing moves faster than a walking buffalo you think they're one hill away and you get up there and they're three hills away so it, it's it's fun it's challenging they're amazing animals so we were being very selective in that selectivity we were looking for a trophy and we were looking for a good hide and we were looking for a dry cow and we were kind of changing the game and changing our standards as we went and that's just the same as it used to be there were times when when buffalo hunters would look for a big bull for specific reasons and then there were times when they would look for a calf and there were times when they were looking for a cow the quality of the meat might be better on that younger bison and the thing it, that it really comes down to is it's all hunting buffalo. It's all the same. Whatever animal you go home with, that's the one you're happy with. Absolutely. And when you hunt with hunters like that, with guys that, that understand you know, that and, and, and um, respect that mentality, it's just such a breath of fresh air. When, you know... I've been in the hunting industry for a long, long time, and so much of the emphasis on so so much of, of the game that I, I guide for is how big is it? You know, what's it going to score? What's it going to measure? And Nobody got out of tape measure on nope, this hunt. Nope, not one single person. <laughs> not one single person. It was about so much more. Every animal out there was a trophy with this group of people. It's like a spiritual experience. That's a very good way to put it. It is. It's, it is a spiritual experience. Hey guys, if you like this episode, tell your friends. Hit like and subscribe and come back and download the next episode. Start at the first one, skip around, or start at the last episode, work backwards. We dare ya. We double dog dare ya.